you'd like to open your Bibles this afternoon to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11 approximately this afternoon. And uh, I'll begin reading with verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober-minded. For they that sleep sleep in the night, and they that are drunk are drunk in the night. But let us who are of this day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort one another, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do shall we pray loving father that you may bless your word to our hearts and that you may minister to us of those things concerning the hope of eternal life which we have that we may recognize lord that faith hope and love are our greatest assets as Jesus Christ is the hope of our salvation and the blessing of those things to come. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at this passage uh, this afternoon, uh, we're going to be looking at the theme, the day of the Lord, especially as it relates to uh, the doctrine of eschatology or the doctrine of last things. Now, uh, several areas we want to look at. First of all, the day of the Lord will come suddenly upon the unregenerate world. Sometimes when we look at this theme here, uh, the phrase, um, a thief in the night, I think uh, probably... One of the Billy Graham movies had that title, The Thief in the Night. You may remember it. It was a video that came out some number of years ago. And it was kind of like an end-time scenario type uh, video called A Thief in the Night. And it kind of tried to capsulize uh, the intent of judgment and how that people would be unaware that it was suddenly upon them. 
when we look at this passage here, the day of the Lord isn't the same as the rapture of the church. Uh, usually that is uh, in the phrase, or the day of Christ, or the coming of Christ. And we know in the previous chapter here, um, we even spoke concerning the, the catching away of the believers. For instance, in verse 16 and 17 of, of chapter 4, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And the word caught up here, or that phrase indicating uh, the rapturo, which is the, uh, the Latin word for being caught away, if you will. But the day of the Lord isn't a catching away. The day of the Lord is a time that judgment comes upon the world upon the, the unregenerate. Uh, in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is used a number of times in different manners. For instance, uh, in Ezekiel, uh, the day of the Lord um, is used in relationship to Egypt, as Egypt was viewed as a uh, one that would be punished for its sins against God's people and uh, Pharaoh would be judged, and the day of the Lord would come upon Egypt, and Egypt would suffer at the hand of God, and God would raise up uh, uh, another entity, such as Nebuchadnezzar, and he would come against the country of Egypt and, uh, and bring punishment upon it. And then as we read in the book of Joel, Joel talks about the day of the Lord as well, but it seems to have a futuristic view uh, there concerning the day of the Lord, another judgment to come at a later period of time. Uh, even though Joel is considered a minor prophet, the prophecies within the book are not minor. It is only called a minor prophet because they are short books, not because they have less, they're less significant prophecies. And then when you come to Matthew 24, of course, there's a very familiar one to most of us. We find that the Lord speaks to Jerusalem, and he says to them that there will be coming a day of the Lord uh, in the like that has never been before. And if it were not, uh, if the days were not shortened, except for the elixir, nobody would survive it. And it talks about the sun uh, being darkened and, of course, the ominous uh, environmental problems that would come upon the world at the time. And we are reminded of, for instance, of uh, chapter 19 in the book of Revelation and how that, that period of time, known as the time of Jacob's trouble, or the Great Tribulation period would be a time of the day of the Lord. 
the day of vengeance or the day of wrath that would come from the Lord. I give you those basic illustrations to say this to you, that he's writing to the believers here in Thessalonica, but he's contrasting between the day of Christ, when Christ comes, and the day of the Lord, when wrath should be poured out upon the unregenerate. And um, the passage goes on to indicate that we are not as they are, that is, as those who have no hope. Um, so he says in verse uh, chapter one, uh, chapter five, and verse one. But other times and the seasons, brother, and ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. In other words, as the regenerate of God, you and I know that these things are going to come. But if you were to talk to the unregenerate, they would not say that, would they? They, they, they continue to, uh, to eat and to drink and to be merry as if they were going to continue to do so for many generations to come. And so there is a contrast that is going on between uh, the day of Christ, when Christ should come for his own people, those who are dead in Christ, those who are alive in Christ, and this period of time called the day of the Lord, which is uh, really pointing to the unregenerate. So the day of the Lord will come suddenly upon the unregenerate world. We know that, that it will come upon them. Uh, for a significant reason, the world will be thinking that they are living as before, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now here we should turn to Second Peter chapter 3. We want to give a kind of a quick uh, summary of some of these thoughts so that we can get a good picture of the situation of, in the context. Now in Second Peter chapter 3, um, let's begin reading... At verse 3, he says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, their own desires, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by the which the world was then was being overflowed with water perished but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, this is uh, these verses indicate that they, the unregenerate were saying this. They were scoffers. They were saying, "Where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming?" Verse eight, same passage. It changes from 
the unregenerate to the believer and he says this but beloved be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day now how many thousands of years has it been since the Lord has made these statements well we know it's within the God's own time frame it's within his time and seasons that he is dictating these events should come about it's not on our time scale and so the scoffers look at things and they say it's been thousands of years since the father said this and uh, he even cites here uh, the first destruction um, in verse 3 the heavens and the earth which were are now by the same word kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men he brings in that day of Noah when the, when the waters came and judged them and they were doing what? they were scoffing at Noah and they were saying there's no judgment coming Noah why are you building this big boat? Why are, you, uh, why are you doing all this? I mean, it's crazy, craziness. Yet Noah continued to preach to them for 120 years approximately. And they did not heed his warning. And so at last judgment did come. So in some sense, God is saying to the believer in these passages, he's saying, you know better you know God is going to judge the world you know the promise of his coming has been given the unregenerate will continue as though it's never going to happen and they even scoff saying where is the promise of his coming dear brethren you are the children of light and not darkness. Let's turn back to Thessalonians chapter 5 now that we've laid a little bit of groundwork here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 picking it up at verse 3 For when they shall say peace and safety then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. Well, we do know that this illustration has some bearing upon the suddenness of how things can change from one aspect of life to another. If a woman is with child, everything is going along fine, there's no problem, but then all of a sudden we find that the travail of pain comes and very quickly the woman is in pain of anguish and she is going to bear forth a child in a very short period of time and he says uh, concerning this this day of the Lord it will happen that way it will happen uh, very quickly and like a thief in the night it will happen very quickly like a woman who's in in labor pains it will come upon the world very quickly even though the world is, is, uh, is saying everything is going to be fine even though they are scoffers saying where is the promise of his coming uh, yet God will come and will bring the day of the Lord upon 
the unregenerate of the world. So, as Paul writes here to the Thessalonian believers, he's writing back and forth between the condition of the unregenerate and the, con- and the knowledge that the believer should have concerning these things. So look at verse 4. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. In other words, you and I, as believers, know that these things will take place. We know that God has promised that he would come. That he would take his church out. That we are not appointed unto wrath even as others. And we are also knowledgeable that when the judgment does come upon the world, it will come suddenly. And it will come decisively. Like a woman who is going to give pain in childbearing. Going to have a child. Uh, That is a decisive moment. That means that something is going to happen very quickly, within a short period of time. And we find that he says concerning the brother in here, he says, but you are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you. So he gives a brief illustration here between darkness and light. Look at verse 5. Ye are all sons of the light, sons of the day, We are not of the night nor of darkness. Now concerning believers, he's saying you you are not ignorant. You are not in darkness. You are rather sons of light. You are children of light. You have the knowledge of God. And you know that these things are going to take place in time, according to God's will. And so, dear brethren, you are the children of light not of darkness, verses 4 through 7 here. So reading on in verse 6, Therefore let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober-minded. In verse 6 here, the word sleep isn't the word meaning death. Previously, uh, we have seen that the word sleep meant to be uh, dead. That is, those who were asleep... Did, uh, were risen, raised first. Those who were alive and remained were caught up after. We didn't precede those who had fallen asleep, those who had died. But this word for sleep is different. It isn't that. This word is a word meaning that one is uh, carelessly overlooking the truth. In other words, we know, we know what it is to go to sleep and to ignore what is going on around you. You might go to sleep because you're tired, or you might go to sleep because you're, you're just lethargic. You're too lethargic about the situation. You have plenty to do, but yet you sit down in slumber. It's like the sluggard in the book of Proverbs. You know, he'd rather fold his hands and go to sleep than he had to go out in the field and work. And so that's the idea of this word for sleep here. Therefore, let us not sleep as others. See, there are many others who are, who are lethargic. There are many others who are not paying attention. There are many others who are not listening to, to what God's word says, that they ignore it, that they are ignorant of it. He said, but you are not like that. He said, but let us watch and be sober-minded. Now here we get the sense that we are to be alert and to be ready. Of course, uh, in Israel, they had watchtowers around the city. And they were to watch. 
Why? Why were they watching? They were watching for the enemy's uh, enemy as uh, 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 attack it might come at any moment, and and uh, and to be sober-minded here. Um, to be sober means to be sober-minded, to be serious-minded, and to give true diligence to the situation at hand. Now, of course, he's talking to the church in the first century. Now, if it was as is, was necessary to talk to the church in the first century in this manner, shouldn't it be also important to use the same language for us? Because even though we are many... Uh, thousands of years beyond the first century, yet a day in the Lord is like a thousand years, the scripture says. In other words, it's not on, on our timetable. We cannot judge things according to our own lifetime. You know, many times people make that mistake, don't they? They say, oh, it will happen in my lifetime, I know that it will. And they begin to get older and older and older and they think, oh, surely it must be close. Look at the world situation, look at the situation at hand. It's terrible, there's immorality, there's violence, there's, uh, and they'll, they'll go on and say all these things. Well, that may be true. But see, that is looking at the world situation from where we are. We're trying to judge God's timetable from our own. We cannot do that. We can, God, does, God doesn't allow us to do that. God has placed everything within his times and seasons according to his plan, you see. And the, the time and the season belong to the, to the Lord. And, and so he says, be watchful, be sober-minded. You, you need to do that. Why? Because it's important for us as believers to be watchful and sober-minded. You know, at, on, usually on December 31st we have a watch night service. But it isn't just the calendar we're watching. You know, that's what the world does. The world waits for the calendar to turn so they can have a big party. We have a watch night service, but it's not for that reason. What do we do it for? We're praying the old year out and the new year in. We're watching and being sober-minded is what we're doing. We're looking for the coming of the Lord. We're waiting for His coming. We believe that maybe in 2023 God would come. And so we're only fulfilling the very thing God inspects of us, expects, and that is to be watchful and to be sober-minded. And so we seriously come together. We have a night where we, we look to the Lord, we pray, and we look uh, and at the situation at hand and say, Even so, come Lord Jesus. Some years ago, when I was very little, and before I came to Christ at all, my grandmother used to say to me, we're going to go have a Terry meeting. We're going to meet at Bertha Weeks this, this, this week and we'll have a Terry meeting. And I thought about that and I said, what is that? To have a Terry meeting? Well, that was the equivalent of a watch night for them, for, the, for that group of people. They were tarrying, they were waiting for the coming of the Lord. They were waiting upon the Lord. And so they used to get together for prayer. They used to get together to read the Bible. They would, get, they would come together to be what? Watchful and sober-minded. To be watchful and sober-minded. So they had a tarry meeting. They would tarry together and wait upon the Lord. 
And, and so we, you know, we have these kinds of things and we should remember the true element of them. A watch night service is not just to eat for refreshments and, and to wait for the calendar to turn. No, we're, we're supposed to be watching, waiting for the Lord's return, considering that we are to be sober-minded in view of the affairs of the world and the day which is at hand. And so, what did he tell them? He said, be watchful and sober-minded. Verse 7, For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunk, are drunk in the night. Now, he uses another illustration. He keeps using these different illustrations, which are really quite good. He uses the illustration of a thief in the night. He uses the, the illustration of being sons of light rather than of darkness. He uses this illustration here of, of watching... And sober-minded, and then he uses the one here concerning being drunk. Now, why do you suppose a nightclub is called a nightclub? You think it's because they go out drinking at night and they get together to do that? I mean, not that they couldn't drink during the day, but you see, these nightclubs call themselves nightclubs because that's when they do it. They get out there at night and they party it up and they drink and they get drunk. And, and so it's very appropriate that, they, that this, and this illustration is used like this. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. Those who are lethargic, those who, are, who do not care about the world and the world situation, those who think that, they are, that it's going to go on forever, those who think that they don't have to watch and to be sober-minded, he says, they sleep. They, they, they're just not paying attention. And, and they that are drunk, are drunk in the night. Well, what's the opposite of being sober-minded? Well, well, to be drunk is to be very intemperate rather than temperate, isn't it? And... Uh, Instead of being controlled by the Spirit of God, one is being, being controlled by the Spirit of alcohol. And so the nightclub is the place to go at night where they want to party it up and, and uh, they, don't, they wake up in the morning with a good headache uh, because they have been in revelry all the night. And the last thing they're thinking about is the coming of the Lord. Verse 8. But let us, now see, he, now he comes back to the believers again. But let us, and he even includes himself, Paul includes himself in this, in this exhortation. But let us who are of the day be sober, again, sober-minded, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the hope of salvation. So here we find the, the, tr the trinity of the grace of God, faith, hope, and love. And he says, a breastplate of faith and love. Well, they go, they go together, don't they? Faith and love go together. And we, of course, we find those in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And here he uses, again, this trinity of, of grace. Breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. And so what do we? We don't go out and get drunk. We, we are not controlled by the spirit of the world, but rather 
we have we have become watchful, we have become sober-minded, and we we put upon us the breastplate of faith. Uh, and perhaps you're reminded of Ephesians chapter six here, where he uses that um, armament of the soldier to speak about the Christian. And here it is. So he uses this, and he says, "We have a breastplate of faith and love, faith and love, and a, and of hope, salvation." Our hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. That's our hope is is in the Lord. And so here we have this breastplate of faith, hope, and love. And it is a a true true blessing for the believer to know that we we will not be overtaken by this day of the Lord, but rather Christ will come and to save us out of that, of that time. Now how do we know that? Well, the next verse. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. God hasn't appointed you and I unto the day of the Lord. We have been appointed unto the resurrection. The resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of those who are alive in Christ the resurrection of those who have died in Christ, those who are alive in Christ, we're going to be caught up together with, in the clouds with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're not appointed to the day of the Lord, which is the day of wrath and judgment. You see, that is for the unregenerate world, who are not watchful, who are not sober-minded, who are not sons of light, but they are sons of darkness, and they are drunken in the night. They are given over to those things of the world. <coughs> and they do not have the hope of salvation. They do not have the breastplate of faith and love, nor the hope of salvation. So the believer has been appointed unto salvation, but not appointed to wrath. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live with him. Now verse 10 is also very good, because in in verse 10 he says, well, even if you die, you're appointed to salvation. If you live, you're appointed to salvation. So even if you have died or... or, uh, uh, and are waiting for the coming of the Lord, or whether you are still awake and alive unto Him, watchful and sober-minded, you are still going to be received by the Lord. And then he says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. So it takes us to the last one here. As children of light, we are to watch and be sober-minded and that we might add that as we are, we are reminded of our salvation in Christ, and we are reminded that it is a means of comfort that we have one to another. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. When we come together, when we are in fellowship, when we are in the, in the, the fellowship of believers, we are comforted together in these very things. We're comforted together in the hope of salvation. We're comforted together in the watchfulness and sober-minded that we are to 
to continue in. We're comforted together as sons of light, as children of light, and not not as darkness. And then it says, and edify one another. Here is our edification, that we continue in these things. We need to continue in them. We need to edify. To be alone too much is not good. Even for the believer. You know, some people, you know, of course, the, you think of some of these sects of, uh, of uh, religious orders where they, they cloister themselves. They go into some kind of a cloister situation where they're all alone. I think it's like driving themselves mad. You know, it's no wonder the, you know, the, the Catholic priests, when they deprive themselves of everything that a person is supposed to have, they don't, they, it's no wonder they go berserk and do some of the things that they do. Because they, you know, they really are warring against the very flesh which God has given to them. They're trying to do something that naturally, unnaturally, that is never meant to be. And uh, we find that we are, to, we are both much more edified as we come together in Christ, as we come together to watch, as we come together to be sober-minded, as we come together realizing that our fellowship together is the, a greater strength than being alone. And he says, in this he says, even as also ye do. He said, don't stop doing it. Don't let the situation at hand keep you from, from coming together in fellowship. You know, sometimes believers give up and they stay home. And they say, oh, well, I can get along fine. I don't need to go to that church. There's too many divisions, too many problems. And they'll make a whole, all kinds of excuses. My dear grandmother used to say, you know, because she went to an Assembly God church most of the time. But once in a while she'd come to the Advent church or she'd go to another church once in a while with somebody. And she used to say, I can get something out of every church. All I need to do is look to the Lord and the Lord will give me something. Well, isn't that where our true fellowship comes from? From Christ. From Christ, some people become so isolated they can't think they can't think of anything outside of themselves. Well, I admit, you know, that if we if we become too ecumenical, there could be a big problem in that. But don't let don't let the isolation rule you. Don't think you've got to be so isolated that you can't, you can't fellowship with anybody. If they are a believer, if they love the Lord, if they know Jesus Christ as their Savior, you'll find some area of fellowship. Well, I bet everyone here has been someplace, either on vacation or in travels or something, and you met up with another Christian. And the first thing you asked them probably wasn't what denomination there was, But the minute you found out that they were a believer, you rejoiced in the fact that they were believers. And you had fellowship based upon their faith in Christ. Now you might have gotten around sooner or later to find out whether they were the Baptists or whatever they were. And that's all well and good. 
but we make connection with people based upon faith, hope, and love in Christ. That's where we make our first connection. And so he makes a contrast here between those who know the Lord, those who know Christ, and he makes a contrast between them and the unregenerate. They are not waiting for the coming of the Lord, but the wrath of God shall overtake them in time. The wrath of God will judge will, will bring a judgment upon them. And so the day of the Lord. Now we've only looked at the surface of this subject. There's much more that could be said about it. But let us at least take this away today. That we are waiting for the coming of Christ. We want to see the coming of the Lord. And even though we've waited our whole life, God is still going to fulfill His promise. And, and that is a very important promise that He has made. And I'll go back to Second Peter uh, to conclude that promise. Um, because it is uh, spoken of there. Is spoken of in Second Peter chapter three. In verse eight, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that the day that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, what is the Lord doing? He has promised that He would come. You see, but the Lord is long-suffering. We might just add here, long-suffering as He was in the days of Noah. I mean, we aren't told how many thousands of years it was that that generation was upon the earth. But we are told how long after Noah began to build the ark before the flood came. And the Lord was long-suffering. Now he's long-suffering to usward as well. And the usward here is believers. It's not the unregenerate, though we might include them, because what are, what is your thoughts about the unregenerate? You're probably thinking, oh, I'd like to see my, my children come to know the Lord. Or I'd like to see my brother come to know the Lord. Or I'd like to see my sister come to know the Lord. Or my father, or my uncle, or my cousins, or... And you might have a number of people in mind, may not even be relatives. You might say, I'd like to see them come to the Lord. What, why? Because you're, you're really asking the Lord to be long-suffering to these people. Yeah, you'd like to see them, maybe, if even as you pray, you'd like to say, well, maybe they'll come to the Lord this week, Lord, and I'm waiting for you to do it this week. But the Lord doesn't do it this week. Why? Because He's long-suffering. He's long-suffering. 
The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. Now, the word for willing here is not the word for decree. It is desire. It is the word for desire. The Lord doesn't desire people should perish. I mean, isn't, it isn't the Lord's intent that everybody should go into hell, should perish in their sins. The Lord isn't willing for that. He, does, he, doesn't, desire, he doesn't desire it that any should perish. But what is his true desire? That all should come to repentance. You see, he wants people to come to re- repentance. And so he's long-suffering. That's why he hasn't come yet. That's why he continues to tarry and not come at this moment. And we should be very thankful for that. Even even though we have great expectation that the Lord should come at any moment, and we may and secretly we may say, "Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I would like to have you to do it tonight." But you see, the Lord doesn't fulfill our dictates for good reason. We 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 just we we are knowledgeable enough to know how many may come to Christ, how many may come to the Lord. We're finite. God is infinite in His wisdom, and so He He tarries, He waits, He's long suffering. He's long suffering to usward too, as believers. He wants to help. He'll help us to come to our full maturity in Christ. And he's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't desire that they should perish. Uh, look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are in it shall be burned up. Well, after the long suffering of God is done with, what does he do? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. That's what he does. He brings the day of the Lord. And so pray that the Lord's will be done and be watchful and be sober-minded and be sons of the light and not of darkness. And God will fulfill your faith, your love, and your hope of salvation. Because he has promised it so. Shall we pray in Jesus' name? Lord, we do thank you for your word and for the promise of your coming. For the believer and also for your long-suffering, Lord, to the unbelieving that they may repent and turn to you. Lord, we ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.